I really wanted to make a book that made kids laugh. In my comics as well, I, I like to flip things on their heads. So um, we flip a few things over uh, in, in terms of like what a princess should do or want or, or um, what it means to be tough or what it means to win. Because I don't think it's good to give the story where like the princess, either she's in the castle and she needs help or she's just like kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're happy to welcome comics artist Kate Beaton. Kate is the creator of Hark, a Vagrant, and Step Aside, Pops, New York Times best-selling comic strip collections that skewer anyone who is anyone in the Western canon, including Herodotus, Jane Austen, and uh, Courtney Love. <laughs> Kate knocked it out of the park last summer with her first children's book for Scholastic, The Princess and the Pony, a tale that introduces young readers to Princess Pinecone, who heroically goes into battle with spitballs and a sometimes cross-eyed pony. Kate's next title, King Baby, is due out in September. Since it's Women's History Month, we're especially pleased to have one of the world's most successful female cartoonists talk with us about her work. Kate is joining us by phone from her home in Nova Scotia. Welcome, Kate. Hi, nice to be here. Before you became a published author, you drew comics for your college newspaper and worked, of all places, at a maritime museum. How did those experiences influence your art? Um, I've, I've actually worked in about four museums. The Maritime Museum was, was probably the biggest and most um, most involved I was in, but I was also a summer student at a lot of them. And uh, and yeah, I did comics for the school newspaper. They, they both had a big impact in different ways, and, and mostly because the audience was right there. Uh, my my university was small. It was about 2,500 students, but um, that meant that you saw everybody all the time and that uh, you saw a lot of people reading the newspaper. You saw a lot of people sort of, you know, reading your work. And um, I, I did the humor column and I worked in the comic section. And if you walked into the meal hall, say, um, after lunch, all of the student papers would be open to the comic section. <laughs> so you knew that you had that kind of power, that people read comics. And, uh, and that if you were the good one on the page, then, then they liked you a lot. And, um, and I really, I kind of, uh, uh, I, I almost, and I didn't neglect my schoolwork, but I definitely put way more time <laughs> into the humor <laughs> stuff than, than I should have, because it was so gratifying to, to see that, that, um, popular section in the paper. It, it, it was something that had immediate results. And, you know, my paper on uh, uh, the rise of solidarity in Poland in the 70s wasn't really, <laughs> wasn't going <laughs> to get, get as like, many, many eyeballs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I and see. And then in the, in the museum world, um, uh, with the newspapers, my, my job was to entertain. And in the museum world, my, my job was to engage. So, you have people coming in, and uh, a lot of the times, you know, museums are underfunded, and uh, the artifacts might be interesting, but you have to give them a chance. And there's not that many people who are going to come in and see an old bowl behind a glass and think, wow, 
Yeah. Glad I came. Um, and uh, and you really had to bring life to to these stories that were long past and uh, with minimal resources, make people feel like this is a good investment of their time and make the public feel like this is a good investment of their tax money and all this stuff that um, uh, that that museums do is, is kind of under the radar and uh, and visitors that, who don't know anything coming in the door, you have to bring them into this story that you know so well. And you'd use humor for that. I would use humor for that because I always felt like if people were laughing, then they were learning something uh, and or that they were wanting to learn more. Um, and it was an easy way to, to, uh, to engage that, that public. And it was a challenge too that I really enjoyed. Great. And, you know, as you were saying, when you were writing for your uh, college newspaper, people were immediately drawn to cartoons. And now after a very rough period for newspapers, we see once again a real renaissance or, you know, great flowering of uh, comic strips and comic books as a popular genre. You know, what do you think comics can convey that other genres cannot? Um, Comics are, are a mix of two separate skills. And people often like to say, uh, is it writing or is it art that, that needs to be stronger or, or whatever, but, but they really need to work in tandem. They, they can have all the strengths of both things, of a, of a beautiful painting and a beautiful novel. And, uh, and you, can, you can play with, with humor and drama and subtlety and, and uh, saying without words, uh, there's just, uh, I, I don't know. People people are drawn to comics in a way because they're easy to read. They're they're, re- they're very easy to consume. You can read a whole. Someone can spend ten years on a graphic novel, and you can read it in a day. <laughs> that's, uh, True. Uh, that's sad for us, but good for readers. <laughs> and uh, and I think it's that accessibility of comics for sure. There, there's there's something um, uh, unassuming about them, I suppose, and. Uh, and you don't really have to psych yourself up to read the best graphic novel of all time the way that you would. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to tackle War and Peace now, um, and uh, and you know you're in it for the long haul. And and there's a reward in rereading comics as well. I think we all had Archie comics and that kind of thing, and we probably read those Double Digest cover to cover multiple times. Uh, and and it was all it always felt like like a new experience in a way. Um, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot that comics have to offer that. That is really unique. And, and you in particular, I mean, you've been cited for being one of the sharpest, funniest comic strip writers in the business. Uh, you know, what are your days at the drawing board like? Um, they're different all the time. Right now, uh, like this morning, I'm, I'm trying to write a comic um, about kitsch art uh, and, and the, the uh, after photography was invented, um, a lot of artists, uh, decided that you can't compete with, with the photographs. So art has to be abstract, to be avant-garde, to be new and, and good. And, uh, and if it's too close to a literal subject or too sentimental or too close to like, like a, um, a fake feelings or whatever, then it's kitsch. But, but it's interesting going to... And it, well, I'm boring. This is boring. Uh, <laughs> 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 I forget your question. This is just what I'm doing all day. Um, yeah, what are you doing all day? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, well that's it, right? Like, it, like I said, it, it is different all the time. Today is research because I, I want to 
make a comment about this. I think that, that there's a, um, I always look for like a seed of, of, of comedy in there. And in this case, it's the, the fact that, um, uh, there's such a, like an, uh, inflated self opinion with a lot of artists, you know, when, when, when it comes to saying what's good and what's bad art, it's a lot of fun to play with. And I also think that, that, uh, kitsch art, um, it's, it's a derogative term, but it's also embraced by, by the people that, uh, that like it. They, you know, uh, you like those cat shaped clocks and things like that. And, and people aren't afraid to, to say that they're into it. Um, anyway, uh, uh, so it's just, you know, um, I'm kind of digging around in there for, for something that I could make a comic out of. And if I had an idea, um, then, then I would maybe spend a day writing it, try, trying to get the, the three panels set up and gag and, and those things that, um, the, the bones of it, uh, and then, and then drawing it is a, is a, it's a different day. And then when I'm done the comic, I'm staring at a blank page again. So there's a kind of a desperate scramble to, to come up with something new. That's probably the, the most exhausting part of my job is that every time I finish something, uh, there's very little reward almost like you have to start again because you don't know where the next idea is going to come from. Right. It's sort of like, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you yeah. crack yourself up at least once you finish something and read it? I mean, do you get as much pleasure out of it as your readers do? I hope so. Yeah. Uh, and it's different every time again, because the subjects I have that I take on are, are really wide and varied. And sometimes you rake something and you're like, I really could have done a better job. Um, and then sometimes you make something, you're like, this is the best I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you're kind of your own worst critic as an, as an author. But um, I think that if you're not enjoying yourself, when it comes to, to making gag comics like I do, um, people will know. They can, they can suss it out. People aren't dumb. Uh, you can't phone it in. Uh, they'll, they'll start to clue in. So you, you have to... Uh, um, you have to be on top of all that. So earlier we mentioned The Princess and the Pony, or your new book with mm-hmm. Scholastic. And we were curious about how you made the transition from a comic strip artist to a picture book author. Ah, well, um, I I think that comics are... One another thing that is their strength is that they, they really reach across mediums a lot. And the truth of this one is that uh, um, my book Launch for the first Hark of Agram book uh, was, was in Soho, right next to the Scholastic offices. And, and my editors, my current editors, uh, came to it. And, and we had a nice chat. And, um, and I was immediately interested in, in children's books because I really love kids as an audience. They're so, um, they're so different from an adult audience. They really... Uh, if they love you, they love you a lot. And if they don't like you, they can just read something else. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, and it's such a privilege to, to write a kid's book because your favorite book as a child stays in your memory, your whole adult life in a way that your favorite book is like right now doesn't because it's embedded in, in your brain. Uh, we all remember, you know, favorite books. And um, uh, to, to be in that kind of uh, top tier of, of somebody's long-term memory, that, that's a real privilege to me. And what were some of your favorite books, if I could ask, as a kid? Oh, yeah. As a kid. Um, for picture books, 
I I went crazy for that one. If you give a mouse a cookie, the, the oh, mouse yes. just ruins the child's life. <laughs> he just keeps asking for more things. And I I, <laughs> I also I really loved. Uh, I think John Shryska wrote it. The the Frog Prince continued. I, for, I forget who the artist was. It was something Smith. Usually it's right, um, but um, I have that name right. Uh, but but the art was so funny and and uh, different, and the story I thought was hilarious. Um, and also because I'm from such a small place, books came and you kind of got whatever you could get your hands on. But we didn't have a library, but there's a there's a vehicle called the Bookmobile that would come to town every <laughs> now and then. Wow. It was like a van full of books, and you would go in and get whatever. <laughs> Where where, could, where was this Kate? Get. Where were you? I'm here now. It's uh, it's Nabu, Nova Scotia. It's a small town. It's like a fishing village, um, of about a thousand people, and uh, um, we had a school library, of course. Oh, okay. But uh, but not not a public library or anything like that. Gosh. And um, uh, yeah, I so I I, I read a range of things. I remember reading the things that girls were supposed to, like all the girls were crazy for Sweet Valley High and stuff. Um, <laughs> and I read those and I was like, I don't really, I don't really care. <laughs> and you know how you, sometimes you read a lot of something that you don't really like as a kid because it's there. You're like, all right, I'll read 10 books. <laughs> Sweet Valley High before I really like refuse to read anymore. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Give it a real chance. Yeah, yeah, but but it was it was good to read those too because when I wrote when I wrote sorry when I wrote the Princess and the Pony, you're, I'm thinking about um, kids like me, I suppose, I, and I loved princesses, I I really did, but I also um, when when I went beyond the princess stage, I didn't really go in for a lot of the girl media stuff, um, and the, and I didn't dislike it. I was just like this. I don't know if I'm super hot on. Uh, my so-called life or whatever. Right. Well, your princess mm-hmm. is a bit of a rock star. Um, what do you hope yeah. young readers get out of this book? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just that, like, well, honestly, if, if I didn't call her a princess in the name, you wouldn't think she was one. <laughs> there's no, there's no castle or like, like subjects or anything like that. There's just like, maybe she gave herself that name. Um, uh, she's got a little crown on, but maybe she gave herself that too. Uh, what do I hope they get out of it? I don't know. I just I really wanted to make a book that made kids laugh, and uh, and, and something that I you know, in my comics as well. I I like to flip things on their heads, so um, so we flip a few things over uh, in in terms of like what a princess should do or want or or um, what it means to be tough or what it means to win, because I don't think it's good to give the story where like uh, the princess. Either she's in the castle and she needs help, or she's just like kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like maybe there's a middle ground where she actually has, you know, she she deals with some problems and things that work out the way that you think they're going to work out, and uh, she still gets to be, you know, a pretty successful uh, kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, I have a question from two of my colleagues who are among your biggest fans. And they're intrigued by the fact that for your comic strips, you often choose obscure characters from history and you allow the misogyny of the past to go unremarked upon. 
to hilarious effect. <laughs> Can oh you tell us God. what you're up to there? <laughs> I don't know. I, um, I think that we're drawn to stories uh, that, that resemble ourselves. Like when I, when I read history books and I'm a woman, obviously uh, 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 you look for, for women and women's stories and um, you wonder what your life would have been like or what you would have done. And, uh, and, and there's a, you know, there's a kind of a deafening silence a lot of the time when it comes to women's stories, like that no one had, no one had a wife who had a big role in that, no king rule that I noticed, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Women's narratives and how they're presented and, uh, and how they've changed over time, how people go reach in and, uh, and try to pull them back into the narrative, uh, after years of being left out. I barter and trade in, in jokes. I try to point the gun at at the errors of the past while still acknowledging that they existed because they did. And um, and hopefully we can move forward from there. But I, I don't know if I'm, I'm trying to do anything in particular, but I take every story as, as it comes. And I, I have a really kind of a magpie look <laughs> at, uh, at history. And when, even when I took my degree, I, I, most people go in and, and say, well, I'm going to study medieval history. And then all their courses line up in that nice little medieval history arrow. And then they go to grad school. And I went to my thesis advisor and he was like, what is up with you? These courses are all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I do that with the comics, too, that can be kind of all over the place. But I also have an ear tuned to my audience and what um, what readers respond to and what they want to see. And you get letters from people and, and you know, I, I liked it when you did this or, or um, can you please do this person? And, and uh, uh, why don't you have any more musicians or uh, how about philosophers or something? And, and um, it's kind of a challenge to keep me on my toes. Do you have um, The Princess and the Pony there, would you be able to read us a, um, a brief passage so our listeners can hear how great it yeah. is? Yeah, yeah. So this is this is the beginning of it here. In a kingdom of warriors, the smallest warrior was Princess Pinecone, and she was very excited for her birthday. Most warriors get fantastic birthday presents. Shields, amulets, helmets with horns on them, things to win battles with, things that make them feel like champions. Princess Pinecone got a lot of cozy sweaters. Warriors do not need cozy sweaters. This year, it would be different. Pinecone made sure to let everyone know exactly what she wanted. A big horse. A fast horse. A strong horse. A real warrior's horse. And they tried their best. But they didn't get it quite right. (laughs) Fantastic. She gets a little fat pony instead. And I love that. I, I don't know. I, I think that we've all got presents as kids, um, you know, from your grandma or something yeah. like that. Uh, and uh, actually, I had a roommate once who, um, you know, those, those VHS or, or DVDs that they'd make, like a Disney movie would come out, come out and then a bunch of weird knockoffs would come out that was almost like the same story. Right. He'd call them grandma foolers. <laughs> 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 His grandma doesn't know the difference between like uh, like the Lion King and then a movie called King of the Jungle, which is uh, like a knockoff 
<laughs> animation. And then you'd get that and be like, oh my God, no. And grandma's like, I thought this is what you wanted. <laughs> oh, that's very cute. Yeah. But she, you know, she tried her best. That's, that's, uh, 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 the story is about, is about a little kid, but, but I'm, I'm 32 now. And a lot of my friends have kids and I have a nephew and stuff. And you're like, you know, you're at the store and you're like, what does a nine-year-old boy want? And I, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you're like walking around Toys R Us trying to figure it out. And you really want to do a good job. So, so I think that, that the story about gift giving and receiving gifts and, and all this and birthdays is such a big deal for kids. It's, it's all about love in the end. Um, and, uh, and I hope that that message also comes through with the Princess and the Pony. Wow. Well, that is a great message. Toys are one thing, but what about creating uh, books for young children, Kate? I have a nephew now. He's, he's one and a bit. Actually, we were Skyping with him yesterday, and he loves books already. He can't talk. He just sort of garbles things. But he loves the book Brown Bear, and, uh, and he could sort of say that. He'll run into the room holding it and go, bow, 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 and you're like, oh, it's Brown Bear. <laughs> anyway, uh, so he, he's new. I have four sisters. Uh, there are four of us, four girls. So he's our little prince. Uh, every, yeah, everything changed. Everything changes when, when a baby comes that um, is actually related to you. <laughs> Other people have babies, and you're like, babies are fine, whatever. <laughs> and then you get a nephew or a son or a daughter or a niece or, or whatever, and uh, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, babies are amazing. Yes. <laughs> this baby is the best baby in the world, and no one can no one can tell me any different. I actually I pitched the idea for for my next book, King Baby, before my nephew was born, and uh, and, and I didn't really figure out the story. I, I liked the idea, and it was a funny gag, and um, but but I couldn't pull a story out of it. And then Malcolm was born, and I went to Calgary to be with my sister for a little while, and I just spent a lot of time with him, learning his baby ways. <laughs> And uh, and we have all lost it. Like we all are completely senseless around. It. And our Facebook is just full of pictures of him. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that people are when uh, when a new baby comes. But this is a book for for children to read, not for adults. Okay. <laughs> I mean, adults can read it, but but ideally, it's it's you know it's a picture book for kids. So I looked through all the shelves in the store and libraries that are books about new babies and the and it's always like I'm gonna be a big brother or a big sister and I love my little brother and I love my little sister and I love the new baby and and there's there's not they'll deal with frustration but uh, but for the most part it's, it's an extremely positive message and and yet I I'm one of four and we've had a lot of new babies it's I think it's really tough it's tough for kids to to deal with the fact that their world is going to be changed forever and um, uh, my older sister, she loved me. Uh, she was at the right age. She thought that I was her baby, and we got along fine. But with the youngest two, number number three was not into number four at all. Because <laughs> 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 she was just old enough to realize, like, oh, no, I'm not going to be the baby anymore. And, and actually, th- there's funny things that could come out of that, but also... Um, my mom, my mom will cry when she tells this story, but she's pregnant and, uh, and my second youngest sister, uh, came up to her one day and, and said, when the new baby comes, what happens to the old baby? Do I have oh. to leave? <laughs> oh, no. And, 
Yeah, and oh. and uh, and she was holding that inside for a long time, her little toddler way, and uh, you know this idea that like oh, now I have to go because everybody's talking about the new baby, and and I was the baby. So so I think that aside from from the fact that babies come in and they're really funny and everybody like goes completely senseless for them, which we do. Uh, there, there's a lot going on for, for kids. It's, it's tough and they can't express it. And, uh, and I wanted a book that sympathized with those kids to say, yeah, it is, everybody is acting nuts. You're not wrong. <laughs> they, they are, have all lost their minds and this new baby needs everything to be done for it. And, uh, and it's taking all the attention and, uh, and it has all these demands. It's just a little, it's a little king. Um, and, uh, and so in the book, the, the, a new baby, a baby comes into this family and, and, and everybody's delighted and everybody can't do enough. And, and, and they're just so happy, but, but it, the baby also exhausts everybody because he's a little dictator. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it shows that him getting a little bit older and starting to figure out things to do for himself. And, uh, um, and then in the end, he, d- he doesn't need to be king anymore because he's, uh, he's moved past that. And then, so you have this message that, you know, it's, it's not always going to be like this, that, that uh, it's not going to be like this way forever. And, and you used to be a baby, and now look at all the things that you can do. And at least I hope that's what, what kids will get out of it. And, uh, and it's, it's fun. It's fun anyway. I, it's, again, uh, it's like with The Princess and the Pony and the comics that I do, even when I tackle something that I that I really care about, I, I want to make a book that makes people laugh in the end. Well, very astute observations here as well. So <laughs> enjoy, Malcolm. So. I'm so happy for all of you. And thank you again yeah. so much, Kate. Sure, sure, anytime. Okay, right now we're joined by Cheryl Klein and Emily Clement. They have a great backstory on how they met Kate Beaton and got her to write children's books. Cheryl, you want to pick it up from here? Yes. So we had been fans of Kate for years. I think, Emily, you you discovered her first, actually. I, th- I think I rushed into your office and was like, you have to read these comics. They're so fantastic. <laughs> yes. And um, as former English majors and people who like strong strong female characters and uh, people with senses of humor we hope um, <laughs> we we just instantly loved her 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 punch I, I don't know um, I mean everything is just so smart and in her comics and I've always found it really really hard to describe why her work is so funny it just is I think it's very intuitive the way that it's it's really funny and warm she has a great sense of timing yeah and also a great sense of the absurd I would say like taking <laughs> taking particularly like beloved literary characters in Harka vagrant and putting them in um, outrageous situations that make you see the story in a whole new way. And so we thought she would do really well doing children's books, you know, which in picture books, you do have to have a sense of timing that's very much like doing a comic strip. As you move from page to page, it's like moving from panel to panel. Yeah. And I think I think she also has um, 
you feel a real connection to her characters, whether they're yeah. historical figures or completely made up, you know, whether it's like Ada Lovelace or <laughs> if it's, you know, or a her fictional, pony. right, her pony. or her pony, <laughs> you know, you just, you do feel, um, even if it's a villain or something, I think she's really great at making you connect with her characters. So that also spoke to us as something that, you know, made us think, oh, children's books, she could, she could really do this. So. so we approached her at a book signing for her first adult collection, Harka Vagrant, and introduced ourselves and um, gave her our card and then uh, followed up with her agent and had a, began a series of conversations that eventually led to The Princess and the Pony. That's fantastic. And yeah. now King Baby, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, King Baby is brilliant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it, it is the story of every little tyrant who we all love, but who is proud to assert his dominance of our household, both through smiles and giggles and coos. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who has ever met a baby, especially in recent times, and you just see especially how um, adults, but also other children act around them. I mean, it, they're definitely sort of revered. Yes, <laughs> and, yes. But in yes. a very like warm, charming kind of way. I mean, this isn't, you know, a bossy, you know, tyrant kind of baby. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you, he's very cuddly as well. Uh -huh. and, and, and Kate starts from this basic idea of, you know, the way we all worship babies and mm -hmm. cater to their every needs and then really develops it in a very charming and heartwarming way. And I think it's a book that can speak to like people who are buying baby gifts and new parents and older siblings even. Um, Kate's talked about how the book came from her own experience as the third of four yeah, sisters. So, yeah. yeah. And yes. um, wanting to have a book that would speak to children at all those ages. And now since it is Women's History Month, I just wondered if you had a few other picks, other stories with strong women like the princess. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I always loved... Uh, Hermione, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go for that. Um, and uh, one of my favorite uh, middle grade characters is this wonderful girl named Millicent Min, girl genius. Yes. Um, yes. Um, she's a delightful middle grade girl who is happy to be smart and um, and much like Pinecone and the Princess and the Pony sort of goes on a journey of learning where her strengths lie and finding surprises there. Right, that's Lisa Yee. Yes, by Lisa oh, Yee. Oh my that's goodness, great. yes. Yeah. <laughs> she herself, <laughs> feminist warrior. Indeed. <laughs> okay, and what about you, Emily? Yeah, I mean, those are, those are some yeah. pretty classic favorites as well. And I think, um, I don't know, I mean, there are so many great children's book favorites and picture books as well. I mean, you think of, you know, not even just human girls, but, right. you know, characters like Olivia or... You know, I mean, it, yeah, totally. Yeah, there's just such a good history there. And it feels like Pinecone is such a great extension of that history of, of really sort of strong, um, nuanced um, girl characters. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Probably. Thank you. And thank you for joining us and for sharing in our mission at Scholastic, where we believe that the right book in a child's hands can open a world of possible. Special thanks to producer Megan K. Safer sound mixer and editor Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberall.